So there are some people that uh, everybody just comes to for advice, they come to them for guidance, they come to them for support, and sometimes those people, and, and I'm thinking now of teenagers and young adults who are the recipient of their friends' deep, deep, deep feelings and, and, and confidence, and they're like emotional sponges. And what we're going to talk about today is who these kids are and what the benefits and what the, unfortunately, risks may be of being an emotional sponge. Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Bereson. And I'm Ellen Broughton. So, Ellen, um, what was uh, special for you this week? What's, uh, what's Well, I watched the Oscars. I stayed up very late to watch the whole thing. And I realized I haven't seen enough movies this year. But I hear you saw something very good. Well, I did. I, I, I don't. I don't like watching the Oscars. I just I don't See, I, I love I, it. I don't I, I just don't like the Oscars and the Emmys and the Grammys and I mean they're just I don't know. I mean I probably would have liked I heard Steve Martin uh and uh Chris Rock yes, did. Yes, they did were a, very funny. Did an intro yes. and I would have liked to yes. see this. But no, I I I watched I I I called up my daughter, son-in-law and my twin grandchildren and I asked if they would like to see the um uh, the movie uh, "Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood" with oh, Hank, with Hank, yeah. with Tom yes, Hanks, yes. Um, and and I, I had no idea what it was going to be like. I thought it was going to be like the the PBS documentary about Mister Rogers. This, it, it was the one of the most moving films I've seen in a very long time. Oh. It was deep. It was he he got Mister Rogers. He, Tom Hanks was just unbelievable, and his father, um, all the acting was just wonderful. It was so interesting, but it was it was very powerful, and it was very, very um, sad. I mean, my granddaughter walked out of the room crying a number of times. My grandson, Aww. sitting next to me, kind of cuddling with his mom, turned to me and said, Grandpa, this movie's really deep. <laughs> Oh. And it was. It was what made it deep. Well, it was. It it, it really captured that when Mr. What Mister Rogers was attempting to do was to identify kids as individuals. Mm-hmm. People will like you for who you are. Mm-hmm. He really paid attention and focused and listened, but he was profoundly interested in hearing and they're expressing their feelings. And especially feelings of like anger and sadness, and you know, and and, and dealing with conflicts, and um, and being able to just express them. But he had a way of paying attention where you were the only person in the world. I mean, that he was attending to. I think that what they did in that film is what we've been trying to do at the Clay Center. Um, and what we do in therapy. I mean, yes, it, it is. It is. So you're saying that um, you might say that Mr. Rogers is a bit of an emotional sponge. 
Yes, that's a nice segue into what we're going to be talking about today. So I thought about this because I was, in, in my practice, I see a number of teenagers and college students who become confidants, peer support people, but, they, but they're on their own. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it, 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 when a friend's in trouble, it's easier to turn to a friend than an adult, a parent. Not every kid has a therapist. So they turned and they, try, they pick people who tend to be open, aware, interested, vulnerable, eager to listen to. Um, and, you know, and for the most part, you know, if you're talking about a breakup or an everyday thing, it can be an, an awesome, wonderful thing. But sometimes they have much more serious problems, you know, depression, trauma, um, eating disorders. And, 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 and then the, 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 the risks become huge because the recipient feels that they're their lifeline and if they let them down, another person's life is in their hands. So what you're talking about are those kids that really take on the suffering of the world. The, yeah. the child who's, and the adolescent who's more sort of existential in their approach to life. They like to hear other people's stories. They like to get involved in other people's stories. And, and some of those kids are are absolutely developing normally and there just are people we all have people in our world we know that's somebody that everybody goes to and in fact sometimes I'll hear as I'm interviewing possible psychology interns or psychiatry fellows they'll say you'll (laughs) ask like why did you get into psychology or psychiatry and they'll say oh because from an early age everybody told me their problems and sometimes, to be honest, it's a bit of a red flag for me, and not always, but I always want to hear more about that. What does that mean? Does it mean that they like to listen to people, or do they feel like they can sort of save everyone? Mm-hmm. And those are two different things. Right. But it comes with a big risk, like you were saying. When you are the person that everybody goes to, when everybody has a problem, you can be feeling kind of overwhelmed, especially if you're 14 or 15 years old. Yeah, um, obviously there are benefits. It, it it feels great to help another person and 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 think deeply about things. But you know there are risks of being overwhelmed. There are risks of worrying. Um, you know, of feeling guilty, for example, that that you're not doing enough, that you can never do enough. Um, uh, you know. I also think it can get in the way. So so some of the cons of of being that that person that adolescent or even that adult. I mean, I think this is something that isn't just unique to adolescents, but adults. There are there are a number of adults who feel like they are a personal oh. sponge. And like I said, some of us got into this profession so that in some ways we had we would get paid to, to do just that. Well we're trained. Um, yes, exactly. So that's it's one of the big different. differences is, is, is that is that years and years and years of training and supervision and getting feedback and knowing how to handle emotions, um, setting limits, um, knowing how to separate your professional life from your personal life, you know, that all goes into the training. These kids and adults right. are not trained. Right. No, and and it can be a lot depending on what it is that they're hearing, and the kinds of things that people are confiding them in. And I would say that I think this is a little bit more of an issue in the last generation or two than it was before. I think that kids 
used to have more people that they could confide in. They lived close to their family. They could mention something to an aunt and another thing to a grandparent and another thing to a minister or a rabbi, that they're, they don't have those sorts of adults in their life anymore to confide in. And I feel like they're doing more of that with their peers. In some ways, that's great because peers are a very good source of support, probably the number one source of support. But but it can also come with, with some risks as well. Let's say a parent does find themselves having a child who is an emotional sponge. What can they do? So I think let's break it down into let, – let's talk about tips for the kids that is the – teenagers and young Mm -hmm. adults and then we can we can direct this to the parents because if the parents know something about what their kids what we're suggesting to their kids they can actually support this as well so uh, one thing that i think is really important is that um that um you've got if if you're in a position of becoming a confidant an emotional sponge as it were you've got to begin by setting some boundaries and some limits and some what is my role it's going to be a tough conversation but if you start by saying i'm not a trained professional i'm not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist i'm not a therapist i don't know a lot of this stuff and i have a lot of other things to do but you are very important to me and i do want to hear from you but here's here here's what i can do and here's what i can't do mm-hmm. if that becomes the initial conversation rather than falling into that role I think it sets the stage. Now that person might go away and go find somebody else, but at least you're setting you're setting the boundaries. See, I find though that for most adolescents and even adults, because I you know, it's not I, I hear it all the time from other adults, oh I can't believe it, but I'm in this situation where so and so is, you know, overwhelming me with their whatever, their behavior problems of their child, their divorce, their mother's illness, whatever it is. And Oftentimes, setting boundaries, it's gone way past that. Yeah. Like you're, Once you realize you're in this situation, it's usually that you're far past the boundary-setting stage. So what can they do then? Well, I think they, you know, we, we always say don't worry alone. We say that to trainees in psychology and in psychiatry and in medical school and in, in, in the professions. We say that to parents. And I think we need to say that to the to the teenagers and young adults too. And that is when you find yourself in a situation where you're being, re- where you're overwhelmed, where you're overburdened, you've you've got to talk to somebody. You've got to mm-hmm. talk to other people. You've mm-hmm. got to bring other people in. You've got to say to your friend, you know, I can't do this alone. Um, I think by sharing the worry uh, with other people, and that may be a trusted adult, it may be a teacher, it may be a friend, um, another friend or two. Um, but by bringing in others, you spread out the level of burden and responsibility mm-hmm. so that it becomes um, uh, more of a, of, a, of a team effort. And I also think that there isn't it, – it, nothing is ever so far gone that you can't reel it back in. So one way is to talk to other people, how do I reel this yep. back in? And then to be able to say, listen, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to you about this and – I feel like I'm not that helpful anymore or I feel like talking about how the relationship, how the, you know, confidence between or the, you know, confiding in in them makes them feel. So then what happens if the person who they're they're supporting says, you're betraying my confidence. 
I trusted you, and now you're going to somebody else, and, and, and you're not my friend anymore. So one of the things to remember is to, to not – I think confidence is important to not, not betray someone's trust. You can go to somebody else and talk to them about, I like so-and-so has really unloaded on me about a lot of stuff, and I don't want to tell you what it is. I want your help to help me figure out how to get – around out of this mm-hmm. situation that's stressful for me so hopefully you wouldn't get in that situation but let's say you did let's say that did happen that a, a teenager confided in somebody else because they were so overwhelmed i think saying you know starting with i'm sorry but i was feeling this or i was yeah. worried about you i was whatever it is that you were feeling can really diffuse some of that and then to also offer to help if there was a problem because you divulged their secret. Well, you know, I mean, the, the ultimate one that, that I've heard a lot is somebody says to a friend who is an emotional sponge, um, I'm feeling suicidal. And then, you know, but don't tell anybody. Uh, this is just between us. And then, you know, what I coached my patients and who've come to me about this, I said, listen, all bets are off. All bets are off. When it comes to self-harm, whether it's suicide or something short of that, you, you, you've got to basically say to your friend, I cannot, I cannot deal with this. I'm, I'm going to have to tell somebody who can help us, an adult. Um, and um, it's better to have that friend break off and say, you know, get out of my life. But, but really, and sometimes it's a cry for help. I would say most of the time it <laughs> is. Time. And I think that's true. I think that if someone is confiding in you, whether you're a teen or an adult, and saying, I'm going to hurt myself, I'm going to hurt someone else, we have that duty. We actually have a legal duty that we have to warn someone. But I would say it's also just a good thing to do if someone has confided in you that they are suicidal to say, I can't hold this myself. Like this is too important. You're too important to me. I need to tell somebody else and you can choose who you would like me to tell, or I'll choose myself, but I have to, I have to do that. You're too important to me to hold on to this. And, And what I've told my patients who've done that, I said in every single case, when that happens, um, you might, they might be furious with you in the moment, but in the long run, they uh, appreciate the fact that you exactly. cared enough to go to somebody, an adult, yes. who really could provide help that they were not able to kind of face themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. The other thing I think that's important here is that um, uh, the teen or young adult learns how to take care of themselves. I mean, when you're the kind of person that is so compassionate and so sensitive and so caring for others, you know, like we've said many times, then the flight attendants say, put the life mask on yourself first before you help the person next to you. Um, And and, and we have a bunch of self-care videos on the Clay website for middle school, high school, and for college. But really, taking care of yourself whether it's exercise or meditation or journaling or artwork or just making sure that you're that you get replenished in some way is essential not just for taking care of another individual but also you know being you know 
highly functional in, in, in your life. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's something that parents can do is they, they should be watching. Does my teen seem to be taking more care of their friend who is constantly on the phone or they're constantly writing to or over at their house and, and monitor whether or not their child is doing enough to care for themselves? I'm glad you mentioned the parents because since a lot of our audience are parents, you know, um, Parents can set the stage for this. I mean, you know, when parents have conversations with their kids from very early on, and I mean pre-K, you know, mm-hmm. through uh, through secondary school and, and beyond, uh, and ask about their friendships and mm-hmm. ask about how kids are treating them or ask about how they're getting along socially and ask about conversations and ask whether they're bullied on the one hand or whether they're leaned on a lot and bringing those things up so that they become, you know, part of the way of talking with your kids. Starting conversations early sets the stage for them to come to a parent later when something, you know, in, in the later years is, 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 very, I think that's very right. important. At, at a very early age, even things like, oh, is so-and-so nice to you when you play? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what is you know, Billy like when you play? Does he let you always do, you know, does he always make the rules or does he let you do some of that? I think that that can then progress to, hey, how how are you, you know, at age 12 or 14, what do you, what do you Billy do when you're yeah. alone hanging out? Like, do you enjoy it? What do you enjoy about it? Just those sort of things give you a little bit of glimpse into what the relationship is like. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like getting back to Mr. Rogers. It's, it's can we as parents really know our kids and have them trust us enough to be able to know that we really care about who they are and how they're feeling and what they're doing and what their struggles are and that we can be trusted um, to help them yes. in, in whatever way it is. We, we can't, you know, I, I keep going back to this film. You know, you know, Fred Rogers said at one point, you know, uh, um, the guy who was helping said, well, you must, you must have a perfect life. And, and or he, or he said it to his wife, I forget. Mm-hmm. But it turns out when he said, no, you right, know, I lose right. my temper. I have trouble with my, with my boys. Um, we all have struggles and conflicts in life. For parents to convey to their kids that there are always going to be struggles and conflicts, but you can come to me. Yes, yes. That, yeah. That's important. Yeah. I think it is important, and I think it's, it is something that we struggle with throughout our adulthood. This, this is a sort of um, issue that we – are we giving too much to our friends? Or are we taking too much? Are we too needy? Are we too – not taking care of ourselves enough. So these are the sorts of things that are great to learn when you're younger because you don't want to grow up into adulthood and realize that you don't, you aren't one of those adults who doesn't take care of yourself. But to have that kind of realistic idea, like Mr. Rogers, I can't even call him Fred. That just doesn't seem right. Mr. Rogers does. And, but that, you know, life is full of hardships and not, nothing, nothing is easy for anyone. We all have times in our lives that are easier than other times, but it's, it's for the most part, life is, is, is hard. And being able to normalize that a little bit, even if you are the emotional sponge to be able to say, I can do what I can, but you know, no, perhaps when you should be able to tell your friend, that sounds bad, but here's what you can do. Yeah. Or here's who here's who else you should go talk to. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, we should we should wrap this up. But I think this is this is, and I I do really like your uh, thought about adults who are emotional sponges because this isn't just for the teens and young adults. This is this is for all of us at, at really, all at all yes. stages of life. And most adults who do complain about that will say, I've always been the one that everyone yeah. came to and what about me? Yeah. And so if you're a parent thinking about this, you you don't want your child to be that person to wake up at thirty five and realize that they haven't done anything they wanted to do themselves right. because they've been so busy taking care of other people. Yeah. So um speaking of uh of taking care of ourselves, let's let's uh well, this is not necessarily taking care of ourselves, but but Uh-oh. we but we uh oh <laughs> we end with the news. I knew that's where this I was know, going. I know, I know. We have we we you know. I could try to think of something that's not political, well, but I'll, it's very very hard. <laughs> I do think that this is now that the weeks that primary season is kicking into full yep. gear. I think it'll be interesting to see who gets the nomination for the Democratic Party. Yep. So there's something to look forward to that things may well things will be changing things always change or they they should and uh when it comes to politics and uh we don't live in a monarchy yet or at all and so i think that that's i think that's kind of a positive thing to see you know where i where are things going to end up yeah i mean i think i think one positive spin on it i mean because we tend to be so polarized in in negative ways and we know where that comes from. But one thing of, of, of considering um, this election season, season is that um, it's, a, it, it, it's a time of opportunity. That's what I was, that's how I wanted to phrase that. So thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's an opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, um, uh, it, it, uh, and it behoves our, I mean, I'm thinking of my kids, you know, that are voting, you know, that are young. And they have a future to look forward to, and and I think you know it's it's an opportune time for them, and also for those of us who are grandparents to say, how do we want the world to be, you know, for the next four, eight, twelve years? Yeah. What do we what do we want to see happen? Yeah. So I hope we can have more of these conversations about what we see that are problematic and what we could do to kind of make positive change. Yeah, I think that's right. And if you're interested and so inclined to campaign for a candidate of your choice i think it does it feel empowering to do that and it shows that you are not powerless so well and that you're not isolated or lonely i mean some of the people that i I, in fact i have i have some friends many friends um and patients who are working for candidates and i can tell you they don't feel lonely right they don't feel isolated they feel connected. Yeah. They feel connected to something. Yes. Uh, whether they're going to win or lose, it's still an invigorating process for them. It is. So, well, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. And if you have any thoughts or comments about um, either being or knowing an emotional sponge, just send us uh, an email or a, a, a tweet. And, uh, and, and read the wonderful blog that you wrote on this topic which can be found on our Clay Center website. Yeah, thanks. I'm Gene Bresson. I'm Ellen Broughton.